do not heckle do not heckle and uh, heckling is defined as speaking when the performer is performing what you're seeing is the result of a process a long process of honing and polishing material uh and there is a reason why the joke is being said it's because usually it works um if it is a paid show that means that this comic has been successful with it otherwise they would not be booked and, and also trust that there is not one comedian that will make everyone laugh uh, so if you don't find something funny chances are someone else does welcome to the artist profile series where we explore ideas that shape our world my name is Evan Papp, and I'm the executive producer of Empathy Media Lab, which focuses on content about labor, political economy, art, and culture. And we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Today, I'm speaking with Chris Blackwood, who is the founder of Grassroots Comedy DC, that sits at the crossroads of comedy and advocacy to make humans laugh while improving humanity. And the ultimate goal is to use comedy to support local nonprofits and their mission to make DC and the world a better place for all. So Chris, thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me, Evan. I really appreciate it. So before we talk about grassroots comedy, I want to learn and get the audience to learn a little bit more about how you got interested in comedy and what was your path to becoming a comedian? Sure. Uh, so my entire life, I've been an attention hog, which is usually a pretty important ingredient for comedy. Um, and I remember the turning point. I was a child, I was on the playground uh, and I said something that made everyone around me laugh. And all of a sudden, for the first time ever, I had attention from everyone and I wasn't in trouble and no one was mad at me. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'm gonna do that again. And then doubled down. Um, so uh, yeah, I was, touring uh, at the age of five and then uh no just joking um i actually didn't really think about doing comedy like from a platform until much later in life um the seed of an idea about it was planted when i was when i was young um i remember someone mentioning on the playground you should do snl and i was like yeah that's great where do I begin? And then, you know, kind of stopped at that question. But um, but when I was, I think it really started when I was like 22. And uh, there was this bar that I would frequently go to on Wednesdays for happy hour. And this bar had a stage and there was a really bad open mic. And uh, I watched that open mic for three weeks in a row. And it, uh, they were so bad. It, pretty much every comedian um, was, I mean, I guess there were a few jokes that were okay, but really the overall takeaway was this seems like the bar is pretty low to get on stage. Like I could be one of those bad comedians uh, and I could maybe be better than half of them if I don't say anything offensive uh, and just and not a jerk because there were a few of those. So I found the liquid courage to get up on stage and I did you know, well enough to get invited back. Uh, and then I did uh, well enough to get invited back again. Um, and then uh, I think it was like my fourth or fifth show. I was 
definitely had like a newbie's confidence. And uh, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do comedy. I am so naturally funny. Uh, I am so funny. I can just write an entire set of jokes without thinking about them. And uh, since they came from my brain and I am so funny, I will say them and everyone will laugh. So I invited my sister to come see me for the first time ever. And I was so bad, Evan, so bad that when the host was closing the show out, he said, give a round of applause for all the comics you see tonight and give a round of applause for Chris Blackwood too. Um, <laughs> yeah, but nonetheless, I mean, that was the point where I was like, okay, clearly I have a lot of work to do here, but this is something that makes sense for me to do. Uh, it is really harnessing that like inner desire for attention. Uh, and it's fun and it's something that is challenging. Uh, and I know I'm, I'm capable of doing it well because people have laughed, uh, not consistently, but there have been laughs at, you know, what I have said. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's how I got started. So who are some of your biggest comedic influences? Uh, if you're trying to look at the, mo the comedians you most watched uh, or who you continue to watch that um, you think other people should maybe take a look at? Sure. Well, there's a guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, um, David Chappelle. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's an incredibly cliche response um, to this question, but I frankly don't have a better answer. Um, I've been a Chappelle fan since I was uh, high school, maybe sophomore in high school uh, is when I first started hearing about him. You know, Half Baked came out and then I started paying attention to his stand up and uh, he was able to be this combination of, of silly and uh, at the same time touch on things that were deep, like much deeper than dick jokes. But at the same time, like with dick jokes, um, so it was sort of this great combination of like silly and funny and real, uh, and also like accessible breaking, like really complex things, uh, issues with race and society and the economy. Uh, but without those terms, very like digestible terms that were accessible to a wider audience. So that's when I was like, okay, this this is inspiring. This is something I think I could maybe do. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was the first one. And then Jim Gaffigan, um, love that guy. Just very like also accessible humor, but for like a wider audience, you know, he was able to um, just make me laugh nonstop without any like cursing or profanity or, or like any, uh, it didn't sound like he was taking any shortcuts that you see a lot of comics do, you know, and I was impressed with that also, because as a new comic, I also had this impression that I needed to be, uh, I don't know, out there. I needed to, to say things that were gross or shocking. Uh, and uh, he made it apparent that's not true. And, and you know, Seinfeld as well. And um, Tignataro also, you know, once, she became her, you know, more visible um, and known. I, I admired 
and still do admire her comedy. Obviously, the her ability to take something that's tragic and uh, just completely like flip it upside down and make people laugh and cry at the same time. Um, so, uh, and and lastly, my grandfather, because uh, he is the, the only funny person in my family, and uh, knowing him is like it's in many ways the only way I make sense as a human. Um, so. Yeah, that's that. So when you're preparing for a, a set, could you talk about just the process of writing jokes and the process of getting up in front of people? Because I, I've been on stage a few times. It's, it can make you extremely uh, nauseous even, uh, create that, that nervous butterfly. But then, you know, I, I've, I have done... Um, a uh, story district and, and an improv. Nice. I've always been wanting to do a standup. Uh, but if I was, I would want to come. I'm one of the type of people who wouldn't be doing improv. I would want to write everything out beforehand, have the punch and just work on my timing and delivery. But how, how do you go about creating jokes and, and um, preparing for a show? Yeah, really good question. So uh, the process has evolved. Uh, you know, it started, like I mentioned, with this idea that I could just write down a bunch of things that I think are funny inside of my brain and then just say them and everyone will laugh. And that's absolutely not the case at all. Um, I didn't even really know getting into comedy that comics repeat jokes over and over and over again. And uh, just like any art, that is how a joke gets good. That's how their art gets good. They need to polish it just like you do with a song or, um, you know, drawing, painting, literally anything, you practice it and, until it's good. But uh, yeah, that concept really didn't sink in until I guess later, I guess a few years into my comedy career. Um, so when I started to understand that there's no real way of getting something good without practicing it over and over again. So I kind of ditched this idea that I could write uh, the perfect joke or even a joke that works well without that practice. Uh, so over time, my approach has been more and more so I think about something funny, or I say something funny, or I hear something funny in conversation. Uh, and I write it down, and then I work, you know, work my best to figure out some punchlines, and then take it to an open mic, uh, and record it, and uh, listen to the recording. If it's not just terrible, if it's terrible, it's like, no, no one wants to relive that experience. Let's just move on with their lives uh, and learn what doesn't work also. But but yeah, to, to go back and listen and to edit out the points that there are no laughs and to keep in the ones that do and then, you know, tweak and revise, rinse and repeat over and over and over again. Uh, you know, you might change the, the order of words um, of course, replacing words, editing certain setup lines out uh, if they're not necessary, really like listen to where the laughs are and double down on that um, and figure out the quickest way to get there and how to really expand that as much as possible. So it's just a lot of editing, revising, trying again, editing, revising, trying again, and uh, doing your best to have an ego callous while you're at it and to not let a lack of laughter or even a response that is, you know, a, a 
vocal response, but not laughter, like a groan or like a all, oh, like a, a noise that is something that you're not going for. <laughs> um, like to not let that get you down, to just think, oh, okay, that's interesting. I learned something there. How can I apply that to next time? That's the process. So you've already opened the hood up a little bit, but is there anything else for those who've never done stand-up or maybe people who like going to, to shows, uh, but what would you, what advice would you give the audience that maybe they don't already know or that they should know going to a comedy show? Going to a comedy show. So uh, I would say do not heckle. Do not heckle. And uh, heckling is defined as speaking when the performer is performing. Um, so I, I, I'm saying this, I don't know, maybe I'm, <laughs> this, this is probably coming more from frustration than a desire to educate. Uh, but uh, I mean, giant pet peeve is when uh, people think that they are participating in the show by uh, helping the comedian who has, has that thought through this joke or said this joke that they're saying like maybe hundreds of times and thinking, oh, here's a thing I just thought of in this moment that will probably make this funnier. So I'm gonna blurt it out and this will help. You're not helping, just be quiet. If it's not funny, just don't laugh. That's much better than yelling something. That is not a laugh. Um, but also, so aside from the scolding portion, I would say like, keep your, keep your mind open, understand that um, this is, what you're seeing is the result of a process, a long process of honing and polishing material. Uh, and there is a reason why the joke is being said, it's because usually it works. Um, if it is a paid show, that means that this comic has been successful with it. Otherwise they would not be booked unless it's a bringer show, in which case they're booked because they brought 10 friends. And well, that's the explanation. Um, but uh, yeah, just trust that there is a, a method to what you're seeing. And there's a lot of work that goes into it. Uh, and uh, even when a comedian will start a joke like, oh, on my way here or the other day, I mean, I see comics say the same joke that starts with the other day for like, there's one guy who does it locally. He's been doing it for 10 years. Like, oh, the other day I was, you know, doing this thing and like, no, no, you weren't. Um, unless it just repeated every time I have seen you do this joke. But uh, anyway, um, yeah. And, and also trust that comedy isn't, for everyone, there is not one comedian that will make everyone laugh. Uh, so if you don't find something funny, chances are someone else does, um, which is why it's being said. And and that's okay. Uh, you know, you don't go into an art exhibit and get mad when you see a painting that you don't love. You just move on to the next one. Hopefully you do. Um, so that's yeah, I, there's a lot there. Sorry, maybe my frustration no, no, no. with audiences is coming up. But <laughs> something uh, you said brought up a memory of uh, something that you told me a couple years ago when I first met you. Yeah. Where how comedy doesn't necessarily transition between cultures and language, and you uh, told me about this experience where you were having a 
comedic bit in front of, uh, I, I believe, somewhere in Africa. Yeah, and, yes. Uh, how'd that go? What, what was that experience like? Oh, my goodness. My goodness. I um, <laughs> forgot we had discussed that, and I'm happy you brought it up um, so I can relive the horror in a recorded <laughs> medium. Uh, no, yeah, so I was on a work trip. Uh, I was in Pretoria, South Africa. Uh, which for those of you who aren't familiar is a place in South Africa, which will like all of South Africa has some pretty weird race stuff going on. Uh, it's like all the police are white and everyone else is not um, pretty much. And it's just very divided uh, and segregated. And it's just like this eerie remnants of apartheid. It's, it's still very much there. Um, anyway, I wanted to do comedy. Uh, and uh, I was staying at this hotel and there was this DJ and uh, I, you know, he, he looked like he was in the entertainment scene, obviously being a DJ. So I asked about standup uh, and he was like, yeah, I, I actually produce a standup show uh, and it's on Thursday. And I was like, okay, well, I'm a professional comedian from America and uh, I would love to perform. And next thing I know, I am being asked to send my like headshot and a bio um, and I'm booked on this show in downtown Pretoria, which our hotel specifically told us to not go to. So I find three of my work friends, um, some other whiteies, and then we so we go down to downtown Pretoria uh, and we're looking for this place. Uh, and are having a difficult time finding exactly which building it is. Uh, it's just like cluster of buildings close together and you kind of have to go back through an alley. Uh, and then my friend was like, Chris, look. And I turn around and there's this big poster of my face. Um, and it says, uh, a comedian, USA. Um, and it's just me giving a thumbs up like this uh, with, to you know, smaller people like the feature and, and the headliner, uh, and so yeah, so that was interesting. Um, and we went in, and it was like two hundred people. And we were the only white people, unsurprisingly. And I knew it was going to be tough when the host was like, "You must speak very slowly. These people do not understand English as their first language. Speak very slowly." I was like, "Oh, okay. This is going to be like an ESL meets." comedy show and that's fine because I am also an ESL teacher uh, so we can do this. English is second language for all those people who may. Yes yeah. sorry yes English as a second language um, or third language in some cases for, for this audience so anyway uh, yeah it, to, to call it bad wasn't that would be an understatement. Um, I went on and I think the only joke that worked was my first joke where I was like, hey, everybody, I'm Trevor Noah's replacement. Um, I'm uh, less funny, but more affordable, something like that. And they all thought that was funny. Um, and then I moved into like online dating material and jokes about balding and getting older and, uh, you know, the typical stuff that I go through and, and that works consistently in, in DC and uh, you know various places in the States. And it was just not 
landing, really not resonating <laughs> at all. And then, so like maybe halfway through this 20 minute set of horror that they gave me, I was like, what do you guys want to talk about? And one person from the audience was like, lend. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, lend. And then a few other people were like, yeah, lend. lend. I was like, lend. It's a, and then like a bunch of people, like almost seemingly like the whole audience started like getting me to talk about lend. So it was like, like to lend money. And they're like, no, lend, like you live on. I was like, oh, like land, like the opposite of water, like land that we're standing on. And so they all wanted me to tell land jokes. Um, it turns out I don't have any land jokes, believe it or not. So I, so I kept talking about online dating and, like, you know, just like going back to the material that I knew. Uh, and then I got off stage and I realized because someone comes up and tells me this, that what they wanted me to talk about was land redistribution in South Africa as a white man who is responsible for taking the land. Um, so I'm really happy that I stuck to the online dating material. I don't think I've ever been happier for sticking to material that didn't work uh, in a set. But yeah, so that was that was interesting. Um, it definitely highlights that uh, cultural piece not working. And right after me, there was this guy from Zimbabwe who was a um, ventriloquist. And he was hilarious. He just told jokes about like smoking weed and like Mugave and... Um, Am I saying that right? Madavi, Magabi, there it is. Thanks. Um, it was amazing how good he was compared to me. Uh, but I, I think it was maybe like his accent, his cadence, uh, and obviously cultural references a little more targeted for the, the crowd. Um, so anyway, that was that. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks. For thanks for that. thanks for having me relive it. Um, <laughs> yeah, always a pleasure. So, grassroots comedy DC. What is it, and what was your motivation to create it? Yeah. So, uh, grassroots comedy DC came out of um, my friend's brain. I should I should say I should give this guy credit here. His, his name is Matt Dundas, and him and I co-founded it together in 2015. Uh, we had been running a series of comedy shows, uh, particularly in this one venue called Chief Ike's. I don't know if you ever went there. Yeah, um, yeah. RIP, fantastic dive bar, really good affordable beer. Um, one of the last like fun, more casual places in Adams Morgan, I will say. Um, a, a hip part of DC for those who are not local. Anyway, it shut down and we were at a loss of what to do. So uh, he had this idea that we would create this, this business, comedy business that would act as a consortium of many comedy shows, local like open mics, uh, as a way really to give us stage time because the DC comedy scene is very much a DIY kind of layout. There's only like two and a half actual comedy clubs here. Uh, so the best way to get stage time is to be involved with, well, just creating it. Um, so we did that and it didn't work that well. We, we uh, were able to get some shows established. Uh, many were fleeting and the, 
the comedians we were working with, I mean, we didn't really have much to offer them in return. They were like hosting these shows and we we're like, hey, you want to be part of Grassroots? And they were like, okay, cool. What do we get? And uh, we didn't really have much of an answer to that. So, um, yeah, we like did some silly things. Like we had this campaign starting out uh, for National Comedy Day where uh, it was just sort of like a publicity campaign where we were, we did all this silly stuff, went out and got people to sign a petition to put a National Comedy Day on the calendar. Um, and that didn't really work. Uh, it wasn't until 2016, the 2016 elections that uh, really kind of was an aha moment. You know, when the election went the way it did and everyone almost at the same time in any city in America had a panic attack uh, that seemed to last for at least four years. Um, it was just the beginning of it and people were questioning, like lots, lots of people having like existential crises. And um, in DC, people questioning whether or not they're gonna keep their jobs um, and what's gonna happen to these issues that they're really passionate about that they moved here to work on. We saw an opportunity. We were like, okay, maybe there's a way to uh, help offset some of this anxiety while at the same time booking our comedy shows full and like ha actually selling tickets on a larger scale. So uh, we had a fundraiser. Uh, our first fundraiser was actually for an organization called Bread for the City. Um, they uh, worked to help feed the homeless and people in need in the area. And we sold out the show in like 24 hours. Uh, so we were like, huh, okay, that was interesting. Let's do that again. So uh, then we had another one and we were a little more intentional about the cause this time. Um, we had it for Planned Parenthood. This was like two weeks before the Women's March. And uh, we sold that show out about 200 tickets in 24 hours. So we were like, oh, wow, that really worked. Let's do that again, but for immigrant rights. So we did it and same thing. In about 24 hours, we had 200 tickets sold. So we're like, okay, wow, let's do that again, but for climate change, same thing. Um, sold out the show very quickly. Uh, so it was at that point where we were like, okay, I think this is a business model. Um, there's clearly a need to, for this. There's an itch to be scratched. People want, levity right now but they also want to have the feeling that they are doing something um and it's a way at like meeting them where they are so you don't have to talk stop on the street and talk to someone with a clipboard asking for money or just like hit a donate button on a website you're you're providing like a you know a fun event something that will give you laughter which is like the best physical expression of happiness um, that there is while also doing something that is meaningful, um, that gets at the root of that, that anxiety. So anyway, that, that was the idea and it kind of just took off from there. Yeah. I love that component of connecting to local nonprofit partners, uh, for different shows and, and just building the, the civic engagement, um, within the community and, and of artists and of the audience as well. And then you also, within these themes, you sometimes bring in um, maybe comedians that are going to address some of these issues or kind of almost have these topical uh, sectoral 
themes. So could you talk about um, maybe a specific show that uh, you've put on that you uh, were really proud about and um, who, who was on that venue and, uh, and so that we can reference it in the, the show notes? Oh, yeah. Um, there were many, many good shows that I'm very proud of. Um, geez. Um, which one? So there was, I mean, there was one weekend where we sold out four shows. I think that was the most, no, we did that a few times actually. Um, but uh, anyway, it was for uh, the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, uh, which is a, you know, a friend of ours at this point. We've partnered with them now for three shows. Uh, we also had uh, the, what was this? The uh, Sunrise Movement and um, uh, 350 DC, I wanna say. I might be getting the name. 350.org. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, yes, so anyway, it was this um, show we've only done a few like them where it's around a theme. Every show we do is around a theme, but it's not organization specific. So it's like getting a community uh, who is united around a cause or even like a particular campaign together for something. Um, and it could, you know, literally like connecting people through laughter in that way. So not just the audience, but also partners. And uh, that was that was great. Um, it was great to see so many people come out. Uh, it made it to the Washington Post. Um, we had some, you know, very good comedians. Um, Nimish Patel, who is a writer for SNL, he was our headliner. Uh, so yeah, that was that was a great show, very memorable. Um, but there have been many, many. Uh, so yeah, ask it. That's a tough question to answer, to be honest. It, it really kind of depends like when you're asking me. Um, but anyway, that's that that was a show that sticks out. Well, definitely gonna put links about Grassroots Comedy DC and everyone should go to one of your shows. And I know we're starting to run out of time here. And so I wanna take a step back to the you know 30,000 foot level of the role of comedy and society, the role of the comedian, the artist in these turbulent times. And so that's a very high level question for you. Uh, but what what is the role of, of the artist comedian in, in these times that, that we're living in? I mean, it depends on the artist. It depends on the goal, um, if there is one. Uh, yeah, art seems to be a thing you know, from what I understand that there is no easy template that applies universally. Um, but for me, I can, I can answer this, you know, for me, my goal is to be the best version of myself um, while doing something that is meaningful. Um, while, you know, uh, pursuing causes that I believe in that I believe will make the world a better place and in turn make myself a better person. Um, and to also, you know, at the same time be doing things that, you know, play to my skill set and make me happy while making others around me happy. Uh, so I, I, I think for, 
I, I guess if I were to have to say something that was more universally applicable for an artist, just do what makes you happy. Um, and also don't feel like you have to have a specific goal. Uh, yeah, I, I think that does seem to be a common misconception and people get stuck on that. People who are creative and passionate people, they might not have a specific goal and they might feel like they have to have one. And it's like lack of having one or lack of being able to find one that really fits um, with, uh, you know, their capabilities and what seems realistic and um, what they're able to do in the moment it's it stops them a lot of the time they get overwhelmed and then they just don't even try uh so i would say set the goal aside and more so just focus on what makes you happy what you like to do surround yourself with that thing do it so much that it becomes routine and it's no longer an exercise of willpower to force yourself to get out there and do it it becomes easier to do it than not do it because, uh, you know, like brushing your teeth in the morning, which is hopefully something you do also. Um, it's, it's just part of your, your daily practice. Um, and then the goals will come. You will find the things that you're meant to do along the way. I, I did not start out with the idea that grassroots was what I wanted to do. I, I started out with the idea that you know, I think I'm pretty funny. I seem to make people laugh and I'd like to do something with that. I'd like to be the best version of myself. I am going to go to an open mic. Okay. That went pretty well. I'm going to go to another one that didn't go well. I want to do better. I'm going to go to another one and I'm just going to keep doing this until, you know, and, and just see where I can go with it. Um, I think if you can do that with art, then you will be successful. Um, yeah, that's that. I love it. Yeah. And I, I do agree too. It, it's the process of transformation of yourself into the role that you want to be in society. And it's not a place necessarily, but it's, it's a continuous cycle. Of, of, the of journey learning. is the destination. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, so then to go away from that to the actual economics of comedy and so many people are getting free entertainment right now. And could you just talk a little bit about economy, the economy of like comedy, the economy of, of trying to make money as a comedian and, and you know, what it, what it means to sell tickets and, and paying comedians? <laughs> uh, yeah, good question. First of all, a note for anyone who's interested in being a comic, do not pursue comedy if you wanted to make money. Um, that is not the reason to do this. Stop right now. Um, uh, it is not something that, uh, you know, you do for money. In fact, I uh, had the pleasure of meeting a, a second cousin of mine. He lives in New York. Um, his name is Jim David. He's been doing comedy for 30 years, uh, has toured with Seinfeld, has um, done a bunch of stuff that I may never be able to do in my career. Uh, but his number one piece of advice for me as a comic was to buy property, <laughs> um, which I love in many ways because that touches on the need for financial security to do what you love to do. Automate income so you can focus more on your passion in that journey. 
Um, so don't do comedy for the money. There's not a lot of money in it. Money is something that comes um, if you happen to be successful, if you happen to have that right combination of, you know, luck and yeah, skill and persistence, um, I would say probably more than anything else. Uh, so uh, there's that. Why pay for a comedy show? Because you want it to be good and you want to support people in the community who are honing their craft. Comedy is not easy at all. There is a giant difference between being a funny person and making people in your circle of friends laugh and making a crowd of strangers laugh. Those are very different things. Uh, so what you are seeing when you go to a comedy show is a product of uh, hundreds, if not thousands of hours of polishing and honing in jokes and punchlines for your amusement, for the laughter that is making you feel better and giving you that sense of levity. So why not pay for that? Um, and why not support the community of people who are, you know, trying to be the best versions of themselves to make, to make people laugh? Um, so I, I would say that that is the reason to pay for a comedy show and to support comics. Um, and there's plenty of free comedy shows out there, but they're not very good. Uh, so if you want to spend your time that way, watching a bunch of open micers, um, tell dick jokes in a basement, you're, you're welcome to do that. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, except my, my open mics, when they start again, you should come to mine. Mine are totally different. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's why. And of course, grassroots comedy, you pay the comedians and then you're also donating too. So it's, you get yes. both worlds, which is awesome as well. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So in closing, uh, what do, what plans do you have? Grassroots comedy, 2021, things are starting to open up with the uh, yeah. end or at least the slowing down the pandemic and mm -hmm. anything else you want to share with the audience? Yeah, thank you for asking. So um, we're doing a lot. We're doing a lot right now. Um, it's surprising, frankly, how much we've been able to accomplish and work to like transform during this time. Um, I did buy property, so that has been helpful. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we have a series of virtual shows right now. We have something we created called the Well, Well, Well Show, uh, which is a virtual show focused on wellness and, and kind of making fun of tongue-in-cheek, uh, like white Western culture wellness, like white takes on yoga and, and so forth. Like we have fake guided meditation in there, things like that. Um, so we have done that and we hope to maybe make that a, a live show. We also have uh, two newer virtual shows um, and these are all being led by our new co-producer, Dana Fleitman, who's a very funny local comic. Um, uh, one is a trivia-based comedy show. One is a uh, more of like a game show um, where there's three comics who come in and answer a series of questions and it's interactive. Uh, there's also a podcast that is brand new. We had a podcast for a while, um, but it is recently transformed. We were able to uh, really like lean into it. We found ourselves a sound engineer, uh, Robert Mack, who's, you know, a, a comedian who's also about 30 years into comedy. Um, so very professional touring stand-up. He's my co-host. Uh, so 
we have that as a platform now to dig deeper into the issues. Each episode, we have a representative from the organization that we're supporting for that particular month come in, uh, do a deep dive into the topic while also sprinkling comedy throughout and adding clips from our live shows into it. Um, we also, you know, have a, something that might happen with Sirius XM Radio. Um, there's some some potential contracts in the works. And as far as live shows, uh, you know, more and more I will be having <laughs> at least the start of live shows will be shows in my backyard, which I am going to start advertising publicly. Uh, it's been weird to host shows right now because you want to advertise for them, but you also don't want to advertise for them at the same time. Um, but more and more, I think we're reaching a point where I can start advertising for them and wanting people to come without feeling irresponsible. Um, so yeah, that's how it's going to start. And we're absolutely going to, you know, open up um, whenever we're able to, to actual venues um, and have live shows once again, all of which are going to be fundraisers and uh, platforms to support causes and attend need. And I've been to a couple shows and you meet great people. There's funny jokes. Everyone should go check out Grassroots Comedy DC. And uh, Chris Blackwood, thank you, man, for everything you're doing and thanks for your time. Thank you, Evan, really appreciate it, man.